You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey everybody, this is Scott O'Donohue, one of the pastors here of the Village Church that gathers in downtown Hamilton, Ohio. Uh, We are at episode four of a podcast series attempting to recap the content from a class we're currently in in May of 2021 called Not Our Own, in which we're trying to cultivate uh, clarity and compassion and an evangelistic community uh, through conversations about gender and sexuality. And so, uh, like I said, we're in episode four. If you've not listened to any of the other episodes yet, I would encourage you to start with number one uh, and work your way through up back to this point because today we're picking up where we left off uh, in our last episode. We're going to look at Genesis chapter three today. Uh, in the last episode, uh, just to give a little bit of a recap in case it's been uh, a, a minute since you've listened to this series, um, we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 that the archetype for humanity uh, that God made in pre-fall creation was that individually, as humans, we are embodied, we are imaged, and we are sexed, uh, male and female. And in the archetype for families, for the way that God's going to bring out uh, these generations uh, of the heavens and the earth, the way he's going to uh, help us to be fruitful and multiply, the way he's ordered that to happen is through uh, families that are uh, made up of the same image but different sex. So we're humans, uh, but male and female together. Uh, and that we're from separate families, but we form a monogamous union together as a new family. The sentence I kind of wrote and pieced together uh, in the last episode was that sexually different humans from different families form a monogamous union ordered towards procreation and the fulfillment of God's mission together. So that's kind of how we uh, summarized what we saw in Genesis 1 and 2, and we're going to pick up in Genesis 3 today. But before we get there, before we start reading, uh, I want us to see that um, this order that we see in Genesis, that, uh, that this is an order that humanity has received. We've received our bodies. Uh, we received God's image. We received our sex, uh, even um, our sexuality, and in the order of procreation, the way that plays out. We didn't design it that way. We didn't make our own bodies. We didn't make ourselves in God's image. We didn't decide our sex or give ourselves our sexuality. Um, these things are things that we received. No one listening to this made their own bodies, made themselves in God's image, any of that stuff at all. Even after the fall, um, this order in Genesis is affirmed by and through the scriptures from from cover to cover. We don't see uh, it be dismantled at any point. Um, There's a a ton of stuff that's messed up in the Bible uh, when it comes to, to sexuality and all sorts of things. There are all kinds of things that are messed up and do not align with what we see uh, in Genesis 1 and 2. And yet, what we're observing is exactly that. They're observations uh, of, of something that's being described, of humanity, fallen, imperfect, sinful, rebellious humanity as being described throughout the scriptures. Uh, just because we see something described doesn't mean that's what God would prescribe for us today. It doesn't mean that's what's good and that's the order uh, that he would actually have us live in. 
Um, and all honesty, the, the majority of affirming scholars today, uh, meaning affirming of uh, LGBTQ plus um, relationships, like the same-sex relationships, uh, that uh, transitioning, all sorts of things like that, should be affirmed by the church, should be affirmed by the faith, and are good according to the scriptures. The, the majority of affirming scholars today uh, who land on that uh, side of the conversation, um, man, they, they actually agree that the Bible says this, <laughs> that they agree that this is the archetype, this is the prescription of the scriptures, what we saw in Genesis 1 and 2. And so the battle today, uh, the, 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 the meat of the conversation and the disagreement is over what the Bible means, not necessarily what it says. Um, and some folks arrive at the conclusion that we should chuck the Bible entirely. Some folks say that we should interpret the, the Bible uh, with a, a hermeneutic or uh, a way of understanding it that kind of makes things looser as time goes on, all sorts of other things. And we'll, we'll get to that as time goes on. But yeah, man, there's a, a lot of messed up stuff in the scriptures, even in the church today that we've seen, we've witnessed, we've heard about, maybe we've even uh, personally experienced in some way, shape, or form. But, but all of us, see and feel this order disordered because we now receive disorder. We receive uh, a twisted order in the world around us. Uh, we receive disorder even within ourselves that like our, uh, our ambitions, our desires, what's natural to us isn't always good. Uh, and in fact, we, we see that in ourselves, we, we sometimes rebel against the order that God has declared for us. We actively go against it, right? Look, none of us are perfect image bearers of God. None of us carry out this vocation that God called us to in Genesis 1 and 2. None of us do that. We don't experience uh, being naked and unashamed. In fact, many of us live within uh, shame and confusion about sex and about our bodies. This is the stuff that comes naturally to us now, not the stuff that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And this, this is what's normal now, and it expresses itself differently uh, from person to person, but the scope of this disordering um, has a universal reach across humanity. But despite how normal that is, we never see God call that disorder that we experience blessed or good. All right, and so we're, we're going to explore this a little bit more uh, in Genesis 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 24. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. 
He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's Genesis 3, 1 through 24. Uh, the disorder that has become normal for us today stems from a rejection of God's order that, that has spread throughout humanity, and it's described here uh, in those verses. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it is what it says it is. It offers knowledge of all good and all evil. So whoever eats of it can decide for themselves what's good and what's evil apart from God, right? So, so we get to decide how the world and our lives and our relationships, how all those things should be ordered. If we eat of it, we no longer have to listen to the Lord, depend on him to know what's good, but we get to decide for ourselves. And in the decision to eat of it, like Eve and Adam both did, that is in and of itself a demonstration of that very thing because God's command was to not eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, although humanity had already received God's image and all they needed for a very good life, the serpent led them to believe that they weren't as much like God as they could be or as they should be. So they rejected his order. Uh, they rejected God's order. And along with it, the satisfaction, the contentment, uh, his presence, they rejected all of that stuff. They lost it because they rebelled. Uh, and immediately, this leads Eve to begin seeing deadly fruit as good for food. Right? It, she says it. It becomes a delight to the eyes. It becomes desirous to make one wise, even though it was toxic for her. What she thought was good for her, what she thought she needed, was totally off and was totally wrong. Immediately after that, they realized they were naked. They were vulnerable with each other, and no longer was that safe. It was shameful. They felt shame, and so they had to cover themselves. After that, they had to hide from God because that shame led to fear, and they ended up passing blame along. You see guilt 
take root in them. After that, God says that this is what's going to uh, this is what's that's going to lead to the, the curses uh, that He ends up walking through. The curse of rebellion that we have now a, a generational enemy that's working to thwart us. That's working to thwart our dominion. We're going to trade blows. We're going to stomp on his head, but he's going to bite our heels. A, a deadly snake. Um, so we're going to trade blows for the rest of creation unless God does something to fix it, right? Uh, bearing fruit and multiplying, that good thing, that's going to become painful now. Leaving our father and mother holding fast to a wife, that's going to be difficult now because uh, the wife, man, uh, her desire is going to be opposite of her husband and the husband's going to want to rule over her. That's going to be hard. Now, working and keeping the garden, that's going to feel fruitless. It's going to be difficult. Thorns and thistles and sweat and all that stuff, the life that, that we were meant to have with the Lord, that's going to come to an end, both in death and in having to leave the very presence of God. So in rejecting this order, the order has in and of itself kind of been subverted, undone a little bit. We've added some chaos to it. And so now there's this aspect of futility and hardship within the order that God originally designed as good and for our flourishing, all because we rejected and the received order of God in order to, to make a better one, to be independent from him, to figure things out on our own. And so now we receive a disordered order, uh, relationally, spiritually, even genetically, right? We, we receive disordered order. Uh, the world that we live in, the things that we experience, the things that we do, the things that we think um, in our sexuality, in our gender, our understanding uh, of all that stuff, the way we identify ourselves, our expressions, uh, in our biological sex even, all of that stuff is disordered. Things are not naturally ordered to the intended flourishing that God had in mind because we, his image bearers here on earth, we had something else in mind. And so in addition to image bearers, we can now add sinners and sufferers to who we are in light of this fall. And so I want to make an observation uh, here for, for just a minute that humanity's rejection is sinful. It is actively rebellious, right? But, but while no part of the subsequent disorder is good, not every part, not even most parts of the fallout that's described in Genesis 3, none of that stuff is inherently sinful in and of itself. They do make things really hard to be holy though, right? So again, like bearing fruit and multiplying, that's not sinful now that it's hard, but it's just hard, right? Parenting, uh, labor, miscarriage, death, all, all that stuff, it becomes difficult, but it, that's not sinful just because it's painful. Marriage, prone to rule over uh, spouses and desire against them. If we give into that, that absolutely is sinful. We let that lead us. That is rebellious. But the fact that it's hard in and of itself, that's not sinful. That, that maybe cultivates context for temptation, but it's not sinful in and of itself. Thorns and thistles and sweat, like the presence of those things is not our rebellion or our sin, but it's a, a difficult context. Death in itself is not sin, but it's a fruit of sin. It, again, it makes it hard. It makes life difficult. Uh, separation from God is not sin, but again, it's a fruit of our sinfulness. It is hard. Even guilt and shame and fear, these are fruits of sin and rebellion and active rejection of God's order. But, but those things are not sin 
in and of themselves. And so what we see is that much of what's described here in Genesis 3 is disorder passively received, not order actively rejected. There's a difference between those two things. So disorder stems from sin, but disorder itself is not by necessity a sin, but it sure makes trying to receive and live in that order, God's intended order, it makes it incredibly difficult, sometimes even straight up unnatural to us, even down to what we see as good or attractive or what we need to bring us life, how we want to define ourselves or any of that stuff. Paul's uh, Paul's bit in uh, in the first class about the body being made for food um, and the whole sexual immorality bit, all of that stuff, our lusts, uh, our passions, like that stuff is stuff that we now feel naturally. We think that satisfying those things are going to bring us life, but we're, we are meant for the Lord. And our urges, by God's grace, don't have to be the things that lead us in that. And so this observation might feel like I'm belaboring this point a little bit, um, but this observation bears a lot of weight when we think about gender and sexuality across the board. All right, Part of our work as disciples is to be asking ourselves where our life is not aligned or where it's out of step with God's order, with, with his law, with his love, what he's called us to. Um, and, and this isn't self-deprecation or self-hate. This is self-awareness. It's spiritual maturity, wanting to be conformed to the image of Christ for, for the good of others and for the glory of God. This is part of the Spirit's work. But part of our work as disciples is also to figure out, is, is this disorder I'm living in, is this disorder I have received, or is this order that, that I have rejected, right? In one, I have to let the Lord sanctify me in something or through something. It's a hard context in which I am called to worship, and yet I can worship here. Um, in the other, I have to let the Lord sanctify me out of it. I, I cannot worship God faithfully in, in this behavior, in this pattern, in this kind of life. I can't follow Jesus faithfully with a clean conscience here. So in one, we get to ask like, man, help me know how to glorify you, God. Like in this thing and the other, help me repent of this sin that I'm trapped in. They're very different things. And yet we confuse these categories a lot in discipleship. Right? We think that just because something is hard, that that for some reason means that it's bad uh, or that it's sinful uh, in some way. And just because something is natural and comes easy to us, that that means that it's good. Um, man, a lot of people, they have difficulties in relationships, friendships, uh, their, their job is tough or their marriage is tough. It means that holiness is hard. It doesn't mean those things are sinful. You've got to get out of them. Uh, it just means that you have to do the hard work of trying to let yourself be conformed to God's image to bear the fruit of the Spirit in those hard contexts, right? Um, and I hear people say, ah, this is just my, that's just the way I am, just my personality. Uh, it's the way God made me. I, I can't give this up. Um, but man, like being a jerk is not a, that's, a, that's not a personality issue. <laughs> that, that's a sin issue, right? Or uh, being, just as, as being visual, uh, being a visual person isn't an excuse for lusting or porn or any of those things at all. Like in Christ, like God won't give you an option in which your only choice is to sin, right? So no matter your desires, no matter your genetics, no matter your orientation or your gender, like you aren't going to be trapped uh, in your sin. God will always give us a way out of temptation, right? That doesn't mean that you follow those things. You follow the Lord, right? So what we're going to do um, down the road is we're going to explore how this tension, trying to discern between what is um, order actively rejected versus disorder passively received, 
Um, how does this stuff play into our understanding of gender and sexuality biblically and just in the world today? It's a really significant uh, dichotomy, I think, uh, some concepts to understand. So what I want to do um, is I, I want to end on some good news for this one. Uh, last week, uh, or in the first class rather, we we not only talked about how like we are not our sex or or not our sexuality, we're not our gender. We receive our ultimate identity from Jesus. Like, and that's huge. That's fundamental to our understanding of the gospel and to our understanding of even ourselves. But the good news that we actually see in Genesis three, which is where everything goes wrong, we also see God's mercy and grace here. We see that God doesn't leave us there. He goes with us into and he equips us for the hard things, the hard places, right? He, he does drive us out of the garden. He does drive us away from his presence, but then he spends the rest of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament striving to be back with us. In, in the burning bush, pillars in the desert, uh, in the tabernacle, the temple, and Jesus in the spirit who now lives in us and then the new creation that we have promised to be with him forever. He spends the rest of the book trying to become uh, one with us again in presence um, at his own cost, at his own initiative. Uh, he sends us out of the garden, but he sends us out of the garden to, to continue working the ground that we came from. So our, our purpose, our contribution still goes on, even though it's difficult. It's not like our work ends. He has no meaning or purpose for us anymore. Our work goes on, even though it's now difficult. He guards us from the tree of life so that we don't eat of the tree of life and remain in this disorder forever. That change is possible. He, is, he can make us new, is making us new in Christ, and will make us new once and for all forever when he returns. He sees our need to be covered from guilt and shame, and God gives us a better covering. Coverings made of animal skins, uh, clothes that will cover our unrighteousness. From the very beginning, we see and experience the mercy and grace from a holy God. The first sacrifice in Scripture is made by the Lord, not by us. And it covers our unrighteousness. And the last sacrifice in Scripture is made by the Lord too, not by us. It's made by Jesus and it clothes us in righteousness, perfect righteousness, God's righteousness. And it frees us to be seen and to see one another, not merely for whatever disorder we may have received or order that we've rejected, not just for our worst things, not just to see each other for our sin. Man, after all this, we see Adam. He looks at the woman, uh, the woman that God gave to him who uh, was deceived and offered him this fruit and all that stuff. He looks at her and calls her Eve, mother of all the living. Could have called her any number of things, but instead sees her not for her sin, not for her order rejected, uh, not for her disorder that she now has received, but she, uh, he sees her for who she really is. It's not a mistake, right? We're not defined by the things that we do wrong. And so we get to look at one another, even in the church, and see one another as image bearers, certainly as sinners, certainly as sufferers. And now in Christ, we also get to add the category of saint. Those of us who are in Christ, we are saints. And that identity trumps all of the others. It refines what it looks like for us to be image bearers. It gives us uh, something to anchor ourselves when we are suffering. And it calls us out of our sin and says sin can no longer uh, drag us down, determine our destiny, or define us. And so we now get to look at each other because of what Jesus has done 
the same way that Adam looks at Eve covered in righteousness, uh, righteousness given by the gift of God through his sacrifice for our behalf. So God goes with us in the hard things uh, just as much as he calls us his own. So um, we're going to end there for today. Um, When we pick up, we'll start uh, actually walking through the content from our third class, which was uh, specifically about sexuality, looking at some of the major scriptures that are at play, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, We'll chunk those out. Uh, Excited to get to that stuff. So thanks guys for listening. Hope this is helpful and we'll see you next time.